I think we really need to, to look at this. Uh, this is page 772, if you have a Bible, like I said, or if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there, Obadiah, this is in our Small But Mighty series. Last week, you remember, we looked at the idea of, of Obadiah and the, uh, the pride of Edom, and we saw how that pride leads us into war against God, the language that he used, and he says, rise up, verse 1, let us rise against her, against Edom, for battle, okay? So pride leads us into war against God. We saw last week that pride leads us into fanciful living. It says that the pride of your heart has deceived you, verse 3, and it talked about how it was their location, the, they had secure dwellings in rocks, uh, in caves and things like that. It was hard for them to be attacked. And so that was an aspect of their pride. Uh, we saw in verse 3, they said, who will bring me down to the ground? Their friends and allies uh, was a source of their pride in verse 7. And then uh, their wisdom, they were known to have uh, philosophers and wise people in the area. And that, according to verse 8, was also a source of their pride. And so we saw this this undercurrent and this 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 pride of Edom and how that God was dealing with it. Now, I mentioned last week that we, there was a specific event that kind of brought all this to the surface, and we're going to talk about that today, okay? Um, let's pray, ask God's blessing. I just want to ask God to give me real wisdom as I communicate, so you pray for me as I, as I pray out loud. Father, I, I just want to pause just for a second and say that we need you Whenever we open your word, we want to be reminded and we want to acknowledge the fact that this is your word. This isn't our word. This isn't my word. This is your word. And so when we talk about your word, we want to be accurate and clear. And so I pray for that, that as I communicate this text, um, I pray that it would be helpful uh, to my soul as it has been already in the study time and then also for the people who hear it. And all for your namesake and for your glory and for your honor. So we're asking for you to enable, because we understand that no good thing will happen here unless your spirit does it. And so we recognize that, we're comfortable with that, we're grateful for that, because you do far more than we can ask or think. And we want to acknowledge that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Um, you know, there's... there's uh, a phrase like, well, they have history or something, meaning that there's a rivalry or something. You can think of rivalries in sports. And um, I know Wisconsin, they have a, a rivalry uh, with Minnesota, um, Iowa, um, big rivalry there. And, and I know the Packers, their big rival is uh, the um, Vikings. And, and I think that's probably the biggest one, right? You know, Chicago, okay. Yeah, that's, that's true. I lived in Chicago land, and uh, yeah, they didn't have too many good things to say about Packers. So yeah, that makes sense now. Um, but yeah, okay, so the, these, these rivalries and sports, okay, in folklore in the Americana, we have the Hatfields versus the McCoys, okay, you know, this rivalry, that kind of stuff. So you get the concept of it, right, okay? This text here is, I mean, it's, there's this long-standing rivalry between Edom and Israel. And if you have siblings, you understand rivalry. 
You, if you have siblings, you understand how there's competition all the time. And that's really where this comes from here. You see, it stems from Esau's hatred of Jacob in Genesis chapter 27. Because the descendants of Esau became known as the Edomites. The descendants of Jacob became known as the Israelites. And so this is really where this tension starts way back then. It, it, it built even after the exodus when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt uh, after the 10 plagues, you remember those stories when they finally were able to go? They were going to the promised land. Remember, they're in this journey to the promised land. And they get to the border of Edom, and Moses says, hey, we need, we need to cross through your land to get to uh, the promised land. The king of Edom at the time says, no way, you're not coming in here. And he says, look, look, we will, we will pay for any water we use. Uh, we will not go to battle with you at all. we just simply trying to get to the other side. It's the fastest. I showed you a map last time. It's, just, it's the fastest way to get there. He says, absolutely not. You're not coming through here. So that built the hostility there. Uh, when Saul became king of Israel, the first king, remember Israel demanded a king, and so Saul became the first king. It, we read there that one of the first things Saul did was to say he went to war against the enemies of Israel to kind of subdue them because they were getting attacked, and that was one of the reasons why they wanted a king in the beginning. And so he says, I'm going to go against the war. And if we read about that in that text there, in 1 Samuel 14, we see that Edom is listed as one of the places that Saul waged war against here. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 8, the Bible says that he, he was finally the one that was able to subdue Edom uh, uh, for good, for the time being at least, during his reign, and like 18,000 people. Uh, he, the, the uh, Edomites were, were killed in that battle. It was this amazing battle, and it's just terrible, tragic. But you see this, this, this tension that's constantly there between Edom and Israel. It's all throughout the Old Testament. So we come to Obadiah, and we see that, that Edom is being judged here. And the reason why they're being judged is because they committed a sin. I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 here, and this will serve as our text this morning. It says this. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. And the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother, in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So really here we see that there was an event that happened where Israel was being attacked, not by Edom necessarily. They were being attacked and Edom committed a great sin of passivity, of just standing aloof, of standing by. And so if I was going to give you a big idea of the message or, or a main thesis point of thing, I would say this, is that passivity can be just as effective as activity. Passivity can be as effective as activity. 
Okay, so we're going to look at this from this text this morning here. First of all, I have two points this morning. First is this, passivity can be abusive. Passivity can be abusive. Notice the, the, the language there, okay, when it says that because of the violence done to your brother Jacob there, okay, the violence done. So, so the language that God is using about them, and he's talking about their passivity, but yeah, he uses the word violence there. The event was 586 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and overthrew it. There's a couple times where Jerusalem was attacked in history, about four main times. There's only two, I think, that could be possibilities for what this text is saying. And for me, the most sense, that makes the most sense is 586 B.C. When Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he overthrows Jerusalem and it was the most decisive uh, defeat that Jerusalem has ever experienced. And it was part of God's judgment. And so this was happening and Edom was watching it. Edom was standing aloof there. And so that's the sense of the violence. That's the language of the violence. What God is saying is that when they were just being passive and watching, he was saying that was just as bad as if they were leading the charge. That was just as bad as if they were the ones kicking the gates in. It was just as bad if they, as if they were the ones who had manufactured and masterminded the attack plan. He's saying, this, what you did that day was violence against these people. Passivity. Not doing anything can be just as effective as activity. And so we notice the language, first of all, but what is the actual sin here? So notice the sin. And that is, on the day, verse 11, on the day you stood aloof. Now, this, this comes up at several places of Scripture. I, I won't have you turn there, but if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Ezekiel 35. That was a text that we read earlier today. I just want to remind you, in verse 6 it says, I, um, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. And here's the reason why. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. Because they didn't hate what was going on. Because they didn't hate the fact that their brother was going through difficulty and facing God's judgment. That they, that they actually were happy about it. That they were glad about it. That they were, that then they, they, we're going to see they actually become participants in it. We're going to see that, that this was the violent sin against them that God is judging them and saying, you're going to be cut off. And the reason why is because they were just passive. They didn't mastermind the attack, but they just stood by and watched it happen. In Joel uh, chapter 3 and verse 19, it says this, Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. We can read Lamentations chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, and Psalm 137 and verse 7. Those are all, both texts that deal with this as well, but due to time I won't go there. But if you want to look it up later on, you see over and over again the prophets talk about this event of when Edom simply stood by and didn't do anything to help. You know, they call that, in today's world, they call it the bystander effect. There's been a couple crimes in history. Um, there was one in 1964, a lady was murdered in New York. And the initial report in the New York Times article was that 38 different people heard her 
cry for help and didn't do anything about it. Later on, as they were looking at it, they figured that they probably overstated that number. But the reality is, we know of at least two people, at least two, and there was probably more, that this lady at 2.30 in the morning outside her apartment was being attacked. She cried out for help, and people heard it, but didn't do anything to help. They didn't call down, they didn't yell, they didn't come to her aid, they didn't do anything. Because they just didn't want to get involved. They didn't know the situation. It wasn't their business to pry. Whatever the excuses would have been, they just simply stood by. There's another account where uh, a man was being attacked and... and, um, uh, uh, there was a couple employees of a business nearby, one even a security guard, and they just didn't do anything. You can read about this, the bystander effect. And it's often because we talk ourselves out of getting involved in situations because we don't know the full story or we uh, don't want to meddle in other people's business. And I get that to a degree, but the reality is What I wanted to point out here is that God is dealing with passivity in the same way he's dealing with activity. So what is it that we should be active in then? Is this a message about, you know, looking out for people and help and jumping in to help them? Well, that that could be an application, but that's that's not the main point here. The main point is here when God is working his covenant plan out, as he's doing here, we do not treat that with disrespect or disregard and just be aloof to it. So the sin here is they just stood aloof to it. Now, so we notice the language, notice the sin. I want you to notice the progression here. I read through the text here. It starts with them standing aloof in verse 11, okay? It says, you were like one of them. Then it's in verse 12. It says, don't gloat over him. Don't rejoice. It says, do not boast in verse 12. Then notice the progression. It says, don't enter into the gates of the people. Do not gloat over its disaster. Do not loot his wealth. Do not stand at the crossroads. Here's what had happened. Is that they started with the attack and they saw the attack coming and they were happy about it. Good. Brother Israel is getting it. Good. So they're watching this attack happen. The attack goes in. They're like, well, we want to get a closer look at this. So they go into the city. And they're seeing the carnage. And they're seeing the destruction. And they're, they're rejoicing over this. And they're gloating over this. saying, yeah, brother's finally getting it. He's finally getting what he deserves. And so he's rejo- they're rejoicing over this. And then they see gold and they see possessions and they see shops open the doors that are burnt out and, and, and kicked down. And they see this. And the invading army has already gone through. And they think, well, you know, I mean, this stuff is just going to go to waste. No one's here. And so they start taking things, looting. And then what happens is even worse. It says in verse, what is it, 14, do not stand at the crossroads to cut off its fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Here's what had happened. After they're done gloating and they're standing there in the streets and they're watching what had happened, survivors of Jerusalem start coming out. And what they did is they stood at the door and they said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, no, you need to go to the Babylonians. They have conquered your city. And they turned them over to the Babylonians. That was what's in the heart of these people. That they just so wanted their brother to get what they deserved in their mind. 
Notice the progression. See, ironically, passivity always leads to activity. And you can say it another way, passivity is a form of activity. And so what they said is, no, 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 we're not the ones conquering you. No, 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 we're not the ones doing this. But here, you need to go back to them. It's terrible. So we see this progressing. And so it was abusive. Their passivity was simply abusive. Now, we say, well, how do we, how do we apply this? You know, we're called to love others. We have a phrase, love God, love people, serve the world, right? That, that love people comes from, um, you know, you should love your neighbor as yourself, okay? I think it's obvious here that Edom did not follow that command. But here's another thing we're told. We're not told just to love our neighbors. The Bible says we're to love our enemies, and Edom here, what God was dealing with them is because they had such a hatred towards this group of people. They had such a hatred towards these people because they had done some things wrong in the past and they were getting judged by God, but they were so happy about it that they just wanted to stick it to them even more. They did not love their neighbors. They did not love their enemies. But here's the point. is see, Jesus radically transforms that in our minds because when we were enemies, Jesus loved us. Okay, it, it wasn't that Jesus, then you know, we became cleaned up and we turned our hearts to God and then we presented ourselves as clean before God and we said, okay, here we are, we're clean now. Would you please accept us now? And he says, okay, I will accept you into the family. No, we can't do that. What happened was is that as we were enemies, as we were hostile towards God, Jesus says, I'm gonna love them. I'm going to love you. I'm going to, I'm going to die for them. I'm going to bring them. I'm going to transform them. I'm going to change them to be my people. That's the Jesus that we serve, and that's the spirit of God that should be in us. And so when we relate to other people groups in this world, and we re- relate to people around us, people who may have done us wrong, and people who have, have, they should get God's wrath, they should get punishment, things like that. But what's our disposition to those people? What's our heart towards these people? You see, we can't be like Edom. Because if we're just like passive, we're not even trying to help them in the day of their calamity, or we're, we're just so wanting them to get judged for their sins, the Bible says that's abusive. Jesus says that's, God says here, it's violence towards them. And we see here that he will deal with that. And that leads us to our second point, is that passivity will be judged passivity can be abusive but here's the point and whether we are are people who are actively involved in uh uh, trying to put down people or not trying to help people or we're just standing aloof god by by this text we see that he deals with that as well I, i want you to notice a few things about this as well. The passivity of the judgment here, the judgment, I want you to notice that this punishment, that I want you to notice it's publicity. Did you see this? It says, um, verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. Okay? Shame shall cover you. In order for you to experience true shame, other people have to be involved, right? They, they, there, there has to be some type of shame that you, you recognize how people are going to see you. And, see, and so for all of history, we have this. This is coming to true because when we read about Edom here, no one reads about Edom right now and is like, that's who we need to be. Edom Baptist Church, okay? No one has that, all right? Because... 
there's a group associated with shame now because of how they dealt with this. The punishment is severe for just standing by and not caring. Because what type of, how much hate do you have to have in your heart towards someone to just simply not care about them? See, that's what Jesus is getting at here when he's speaking to us in this text. This is what God is talking to us about. But not only just notice the publicity of the punishment, I want you to notice the perpetuity of it. It says here, and, and you shall be, verse 10, and you shall be cut off forever. And that's come true. The city has never recovered from this. When Edom was put down, it's never, never recovered from uh, where it was. Eternally cut off. Shame. This is the punishment for passivity. But not only notice the, the, the publicity, but the perpetuity. But here, and this is kind of a summary point of the first two, notice the severity of this. Why is this so severe? Why does God deal with this in such a severe way? In the last few minutes together, let me summarize why, and it'll bring us to our application we need to remember the context here. Israel had a covenant with God. God had told Israel, he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Okay? That's his dealing with the covenant people of Israel. So what God is doing here is he's being faithful to his covenant. Okay? Because God is a covenant-keeping God. Okay? So he's always kept his end of the covenant. He's always kept his deal, his end of the bargain there. And so uh, Edom, no doubt, knew about God's covenant with Israel, and they disregarded it in their passivity. Okay? So they knew about God's covenant plan with Israel. They knew about it, and instead of getting on board with the plan, they opposed it by simply being inactive. By simply saying, I don't care about these people, and simply letting, uh, letting them go into destruction, and not mourning the bloodshed, and not mourning uh, the fact that they were people that God was dealing with. They rejoiced in it, and they gloated over it. So God was keeping his covenant, as he always does, when he judged Edom as well, when he says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. That was his covenant with Israel. But see, there's a new covenant. So how does this relate to us? Because we, we don't have, we're not under that covenant with Israel that I will bless those who bless you and keep those who keep you and, and, and curse those who curse you. That, that was a covenant with Israel. That's, that was, that's not with us. What, how does this affect you and me today? Well, as I said, we're under a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31 teaches us about this. We see this in the institution of the Lord's Supper. I referenced it at our table celebration. There's a new covenant and here's where the application, I think, comes in about this. When we're passive about God's covenant, it will lead to eternal destruction. When we're passive about God's covenant, and we don't care about it or we disregard it, it will lead to eternal destruction. That's what happened to Edom. They didn't care about God's covenant with, with uh, Israel, and so they were destroyed for it. And if you and I disregard God's covenant with us today, we will face eternal destruction. And we'll face shame. So put it another day, when judgment day comes, no one will get a pass for being passive. Now, where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that we all have a decision to make about what we know what God has said in his word. 
And some of you here today, you believe that God is a saving God, and you believe that you're a sinner, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you believe that if we repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and you have eternal life, and then you are, uh, are, are members of that covenantal family with God. That's awesome. Some of you may not be. And some of you may be on the fence. And some of you may be saying, you know, I don't know about this or not and everything going back and forth on it. But you know what? I'm not going to oppose God, but I'm definitely not going to be for him either. My point is, and I think that this text speaks to us today, is that there, that, that, that option is not available to you. You know, some people, they, they call themselves agnostic. And they say, well, I'm not against the notion of God. I just don't know if it's true or not. And so they kind of try to ride the fence there. And the point is, is that that act of passivity is an action against denying God. And God will deal with that. And so if you're here today and you're like, you know, the, the religion thing is okay. And, and you're kind of going through the motions. There's some good things about it. I, I don't know that, you know, that I'm really that much of a sinner. I really need to be saved. You know, but I understand why religion's good and all that stuff. You know, and so I'm not going to oppose it. Uh, but I'm just not all in either. The Bible says that that's a path that leads to eternal destruction. And I take no joy in saying that. But I have to say it. Because what type of friend would I be? What type of pastor would I be if I didn't tell you the truth? Right? And so what we can learn is that God, he's a covenant-keeping God. And when he, what he says, he will do. And he says that those who die in the trespasses and the sins will face eternal judgment. I hate that doctrine about the Bible. I wish I could take it out. But it is there because God is a just God and he's a holy God. So my point is this. My point is that we can't be passive about what God has commanded, about eternal life. What about matters of just simple obedience? We can't be passive about those things. James says if we, if we, if we uh, uh, for his, I think it's James, I'm doubting myself right now, but for him that knows to do good and who does not do it, it is sin. Okay? Um, so many, you know, we've saw, we saw this when we studied the Sermon on the Mount. Many are going to say in the day before Jesus, they're going to say, man, did we do many mighty works in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. He's not going to say, well, man, thanks for doing a good job in this life. Thanks for trying your best. You know what? Go ahead. He's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There's no middle ground with God. You're either for him or you're against him. And we need to embrace that reality. So there's one application. But here's the other application I want to drive home in the last two minutes I have is this. Edom's passivity was fueled by vengeance. Edom's passivity was fueled by vengeance. They simply wanted them to get what Israel to get what was due to them, and they hated him for it. And they hated him. And that passivity of standing aloof and just saying, okay, destroy him. And then when people are trying to escape the city, no, 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 no. You need to go back and force them to go back. That was just vengeance. And God hates it when we have vengeful hearts. Vengeance is mine, the Lord says. We have, it's not our place to show revenge and have vengeance in our heart. And I think that's what this text is also getting at here. 
But again, I ask the question, why is this a big deal to God? Why is it a big deal to God that we enact uh, vengeance on other people? Because doesn't God deal with sin? It wasn't what Israel is experiencing. It wasn't what Jerusalem was experiencing in 586 BC. Was that not the, the judgment of God upon them? And it was. And so it could be argued then, we were simply getting on board with your plan, God. We were simply doing what you wanted to be done here. So why are you upset with me? Here's the reason why God judged them. It wasn't because they were getting on board with the plan. It was because they had so much revenge and so much anger, they had so much malice in their hearts towards these people that they hated them. And God says, you are not in the place to show vengeance. Do not do that. And here's the reason why it's so important. Number one, only God is just. Only God knows what exactly is the just punishment that someone deserves. You and I don't know that. Now, God has set up and the government officials and things like that. Romans teaches us, Romans chapter 13. And so there is that place where a few of us in this life will be placed into life where we will have to enact uh, some vengeance on crimes that are committed. But for the vast majority of us in the room, that's not us. And so what we need to understand is that we need to have a heart of love and a heart of, of grace and a heart of, of uh, trying to help people in times of need, not in trying to make sure that they get what is owed to them because you and I are not just. You and I will always want the person to get more than what they really should get. Sidebar here real quickly. You remember at the end of Jesus' ministry, remember he dies and Peter had denied him three times. Remember this whole scenario? Okay, so he denied him three times and then Jesus rises from the dead. Peter is distraught. He's like, I'm going fishing. Remember the story? He's on the boat and he's fishing and then he looks out on the beach and who does he see on the beach? Remember who was there? Jesus, right? Okay, Jesus was there. He sees him. He dives into the water, and he starts swimming to shore, and he gets there. Jesus has got a meal for him. And remember the dialogue. Remember the conversation that Jesus has with Peter in that moment. He says, he says Peter, do you love me? You remember this? Okay. Yes, Lord, I love you. And there's a lot of things I could preach, a whole sermon just on that. It's so powerful. But three times he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And God has been very gracious in his restoration of Peter. Okay. Then remember what happens after that. A lot of times we stop the story there. Do you remember Jesus then tells Peter how he's going to die? Do you remember that? Okay. So what does Peter do right after that? Does anyone remember? What does he do? Yeah. What about that disciple? What's going to happen to him? What about him? All right. What does Jesus say to him? What was his response? It's not for you to know. Remember that? Okay. It's not for you to know. Now, why would he do that? Here's the reason. God knows we can't be trusted with information like that. Because if I knew, okay, Rob, this is the exact plan for his life, and I'm going to be looking at Rob and be like, Rob, I think you're veering a little bit here, buddy, right? I'm going to be looking down. I'm going to be, I'm going to be so worried about him. I'm not going to be worried about him. God's like, no, no, no. You don't have the capacity to be just towards everyone. So don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Worry about your relationship with me. And so this is the reason why vengeance is such a big deal to God because he says, I am just. Only I know what is right. Only I know how to deal with this. So you don't put yourselves in a position of being their God. Pride leads to war. Pride leads to fanciful living. And pride leads to us acting like we're God. 
And that's exactly what Eden was doing here. And so it's a big deal to God because God says, you don't know how to be just. And I think it's also a big deal to God because of what we talked about earlier. And that is this. When we want God to just crush other people, we're forgetting that God crushed someone already. And that's not good enough for us. It's not good enough that Jesus died on the cross for that person's sin. It's simply not good enough. When our family member ticks us off, when the person on the road ticks us off and cuts us off, and I always feel the urge to drive up next to them and stare at them and just so that they know that I know that they're an idiot. You know, it's just that, that anger in my heart that just comes, why? It's not enough for me to know Jesus is dealing with them in his own terms. I know better than God in that moment. Do you see why this is relevant to us? Edom thought that they were God and they were going to do whatever they were going to do. They were going to enact justice and vengeance upon the children of Israel. And God says, I'm doing it. Stop. You should be mourning for them. And you should be loving them. And you should be trying to encourage them. So don't take this upon yourself. When we're so hateful towards other people, what we're saying is, God, you have not dealt with them the way you should have. And we, in our pride, think we're God. So let us, as we're dealing with people, and people are going to let us down, let's not be people that are so hurtful towards other people and so want to see them get what is due to them. Rather, let us bear one another's burdens. You see, when, we're, when our sins have been forgiven, when we have experienced the forgiveness of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, what that should do is it should relieve us of the burden of vengeance and relieve us of the burden of justice because that's been taken care of and then we can come alongside people and we can show love. And that's why Jesus says, love your enemies because Jesus is taking care of it. So the story of Edom, very relevant to us today. Much more can be said. Our time is gone. But let's just ask God to remove the vengeance that is in our hearts. Father, I do pray that we would not be like Edom. I do pray that we would remove the vengeance that is in our hearts, trust you, trust your justice, and may pride not lead us to want to be like you or act like you in the terms of that we think we're God. So, Father, thank you that this story helps us to that end. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.